Hello, 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 and welcome to the Akash and Friends podcast. We're here again, again, as we are every week uh, with another episode. Today we have somebody very special because this is not a friend directly. This is a friend through through, and uh, uh, it's also the first, I think, foreign passport holder we have on this. Uh, so, uh, do you still have a foreign passport? I don't. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. So she has a foreign passport, guys. Uh, please welcome uh, a good future friend. I know for this for a fact already, uh, Lucy Peters. Thank you so much for being on, man. Yes, sir. Welcome. Yes, sir. Uh, welcome. It's great to have you. It's it's so interesting. You know, I've been watching this. <laughs> it was funny, but I had to prepare for this, and there's not much about you on the internet. No, uh, nothing. Yeah, and and because of that, I I just resigned myself to watching Australian sitcoms, and. <laughs> you probably you probably know more than me. I think I've only watched like one. I've only seen the one to be honest as well. But I saw it's all not. five seasons. It's called Rake. Have you heard of it? Oh, I think I have, but I, I haven't watched it. It's it's about a lawyer who's just it's it's the show I always wanted to write, but with an Australian accent. Is it any good? Because some can be a bit hit and miss. It's it's okay. It's it's brash. Yeah. I, that's that's what I expect out of Australia. I expect <laughs> it to curse at me while I'm batting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fair enough. But hey, what an interesting place in the space time to catch you because you know mm. uh, everything I know about you I know from Shashwat, and based on what I know about you, somebody who grew up in a uh, uh, is it is your is your entire okay? Firstly, mm. let's start there. Let's start with who you are and what you do. I think that is important. Okay. So right. okay, so as everybody here, if you're watching this, you know her name is Lucy, and what Lucy yes. does is that she runs Peter. Uh, she she doesn't run Peter Karkov. This is <laughs> she runs yeah. Pagalena uh, with her husband Thru. Yeah, that's correct. And and if you don't know what Pagalena Records is, it is one of the best indie labels in the country right now. Uh, and the, you have all the best. Do as we record this, you have like the 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 creme de la creme of the scene, right? You have you everybody do. great. You just signed F 16s also, which is just yeah. oof. We're really lucky. We're really lucky. Uh, and you also yeah. signed my little brother in in a sense, uh, Shashwat. So it's just yeah. it's it's great. All and it's it's like I was so happy when y'all approached him because I was like, oh, finally, the young man will get the due what is due. Yeah, that uh, I mean, with Bulu, it happened like um, quite organically. I think he even shared in his episode, right? Yeah, that it, that it happened that we were doing a gig. Krishna was a sound engineer. He was mixing his music, and he just played it to test the speakers. And we were all like, Drew specifically was like, "Wait, who is this guy?" Yeah. And then with Bulu, you know, you check out his SoundCloud, and he's just got so much talent. It's yeah. just like, so yeah. So we we love the fact that he's part. Of our family, and he's a lawyer, and he's working with us, you know, as <laughs> yeah, a lawyer so great, as well. <laughs> he's, he's so cool, man! Like he's just like he's just doing his thing. So, but yeah, so I run Pagal Hannah with Drove. I manage a couple of the artists, and um, yeah, I guess that's that's the core focus as of now. Where did where did life start? What state of Australia? Does did you Sydney. know? That, okay, of course you knew this. Mm. <laughs> You would know you're from Australia, but I didn't know that all the cities in Australia are on the southern coast, like all I, the major yeah, cities. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't, I'm really bad with that type of stuff. Oh no. Yeah. Okay, but Sydney is great. It's, I know Sydney. Sydney has the Opera House. Yeah. And uh, uh, also the Sydney Cricket Ground. Which hmm. is where Bumrah bowled one of the best balls in Test ball history. Amazing. That's, that's the thing. No, my knowledge of geography is very cricket Amazing. and comedy. <laughs> Amazing. 
<laughs> yeah, cricket is something that like I now like support the Indian cricket team. So there's been moments at home when like India is playing Australia yeah. and my mom's like, what happened to you? Because like <laughs> I only learned about cricket in India, you know, so ah. then I, and through Dhruv. And so like, I feel like I know like half the cricket team, like their oh, personal yeah. lives. Dhruv is huge on it as well. No? He's huge on yeah. it. So, so yeah, so I feel you. And, and you went to a, uh, your family, you have a butcher mm-hmm. shop. Yeah, how do you know that? I do a little bit research. Yay! Yeah, we do. We do. I worked in the shop. My dad has um, owned it for quite a while. So I'm, I have Greek heritage. So right. my, uh, not all my grandparents, my great-grandparents and one of my grandfathers migrated and the rest were born in Australia. Uh-huh. And like they came from a small island in Greece where there was like 2,000, well, at the moment wow. there's like 2,000 people there. There was more obviously when they were there, but they were just very simple, like trades, labor, a lot of them worked on boats. Mm. And um, my dad was actually like an artist, a a really good visual artist, but at the time got selected to like a a good art school, Um, but it wasn't really accepted. So the the Greek culture is very similar to the Indian culture, right? Like my grandparents were arranged, um, like... It's quite traditional. There's a lot of similarities. And um, so, yeah, but anyway, so my dad ended up giving up his art stuff and um, his cousin was, you know, working and running butcher shops and they partnered and anyway, yeah. Butcher no, shops. it's okay. Yeah. You can go as yeah. much into it as you want. It's completely <laughs> but fine. Yeah, but I, I feel like I got a lot of my, my work ethic, my, um, my leadership skills, um, a lot of who I am came from my father and working in that shop with him. Right. He, he really inspired people, um, but he had high expectations because mm. he, he just saw your potential and he would force you to meet it. Um, right. He knew that you could. He didn't ever doubt it. So then if you weren't meeting it, he would be pissed. He was a bit mm. hardcore. Like he was a bit hardcore, but um, like someone would come in shorts you know, he would come two hours on a train for an interview in like, in like shorts. Mm. And my dad's like, you're here in shorts. Like you can't, you can't work in a butcher shop in shorts. Like you're serving meat. No one wants to see your hairy legs. It's like, right. that's a, it's a horrible like association. Mm. And then the guy's like, well, I don't have pants. And I live like two, two hours away. He's like, I don't care. Go home, get pants, come back. Like he'd never shy of effort. He would work harder than everybody else. And right. set the example. So a lot of the a lot of the foundational things that like I feel like yeah came from that experience in him. That's yeah. awesome. That's you know I find that really interesting because a lot mm-hmm. of the people I talk to uh, uh, work ethic comes from crafts people. You know what I mean? If that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah, for sure. Like butchering is a craft, right? Like you need to it know is. the meat. It's there's an art to it. There's, there's it's an art. Yeah. Exactly. And if you see our butcher shop in Australia, like it's, it's a, it's quite a good one. Uh, but it's like the display. And now my brother is working there. It's like, and like, I am blown away every time I see the display. I'm yeah. like, this is, this is art. Like they take such pride in, in what they do. It's, it's insane. So yeah. it's like, whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you do, whatever you do, it can have that level of effort. It yeah. can be, your, it can be your expression. And yeah. I think if it's done from that space sincerely, 
that's why it has done so well and it continues to do so well because that's what it's about for them. It's not just about meat. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, and, yeah. and I think it's it's when it, uh, you can tell certain people are fit for the role because there are certain, some mm. of us who who love crea- creativity with certain restrictions. You mm. know, that's what makes it exciting because you have to create, but you can't do mm. this and you can't do that. And no, you can't cut that because fat doesn't cut that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- that joke doesn't work that way structurally. You're mm. not allowed to do that. And I think that's what gets me. I mean, I'm also very obsessed with it for that reason. Because mm. otherwise, you know, I always, I love, I've probably said this analogy 50 times on this podcast, even though we've done less than 50 episodes. But <laughs> uh, it's like uh, pottery versus painting. You know, I mm. find pottery far more fascinating than painting. Because a painting can be anything and it can be anywhere. You can make it with anything. But with mm. pottery, it better hold water. Because if it doesn't hold water, it's not a pot. You know, mm. it could be shaped like anything. Uh, mm. It could look like anything. But it's it's there's a function that precedes everything else, yeah, which I true. find super fascinating. True. Yeah. Uh, but so oh, what that's is nice. it? Yeah. Thank you. Haha. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what did, what is it like growing up in Australia? Is it a lot of sports? Did you play four <laughs> sports? Be honest. Yeah. So I went to a school that was like it was a pretty great school. So like you had to try everything and then you got to pick what you wanted to do. So language, sports, uh, music. I played the French horn. I mainly played netball. Netball was my sport, sport of choice. What's, what, what is the sport? Net, netball. 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 Is it the one, yeah. like lacrosse? Is it the one with the no, stick no. and the net in it? No, no. Netball, <laughs> netball is like, uh, it's not like basketball at all. It's, okay. it's literally like, but it is like in the sense that you have a ball and you put it in a net, okay. but you can't, you can't move with the ball. Like you have to, ah, it, okay. you can't dribble. So, so netball was the one that um, I kind of played for the longest amount of time. Uh, athletics, you know, I tried, gym, I tried, um, basketball, I tried like once, but then I was so used to netball that they threw me the ball and I didn't move. And yeah, my brother yeah. was like, Move! <laughs> like go somewhere, and I just froze. And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing this. This is not for me. Swimming, swimming. I mean, Australia is a beach culture. There's water bodies yeah. everywhere. You're like thrown into the pool when you're like six months old, and right. like just just learn how to paddle. Yeah. So, but we also did swimming, and I, I used to hate the swimming drills. Like you, you go to those school pools, and there's like hundreds of kids in the pool, and there's like your a school bag. had a pool, bro. Yeah, that in I itself. Know, I know, <laughs> but I remember once, like, true, I was very, very lucky. Uh, but storm. No, no, all that, you don't have to worry about acknowledging privilege here. Fuck off. <laughs> it's okay. okay. So I was, I was, I remember once I was in like my swimsuit with like my swimming cap on and I just didn't want to do swim drills. And I walked out on the road like that. Like I was marching away from my school and I stood like on the top of this hill on a main road. And one of my friends walked past and she saw me standing there with like my cap on and my like swimsuit. She's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Sorry, I shouldn't swear, but. You can you swear? Do? I can Why? swear? You Fine. Can cool. So Light a you- cigarette, bro. It's cool. Like. Cool. Sweet. So she's like, what are you doing here? And I'm just like, not swimming. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so no sports speed, but but more like um, for our family, it was swimming. Like we, like if it's sunny on the weekend, right. we're we're out like swimming. As a teenager, you you go to the beach. Um, it's it's an outdoor culture. You, yeah. you 
you're in parks, you're outside. Um, it's it's that kind of vibe, which is obviously very different to Delhi, you know. So, no. <laughs> and yeah. generally India. India, yeah. India, I, I love it. Even when the weather's beautiful, it's like people only come out once the sun sets. Yeah. You know, it's like the scare of summer has made everyone conditioned to be like, okay, if there is light, we are inside. Yeah, yeah. And then much. once it's dark, we come out. And so like I normally walk at that sunset mark mm. where there's like nobody outside, there's a breeze, <laughs> the sun's setting and I'm like, yeah, this is cool. Yeah. Um, how how did so what did you uh, study out of school? Did you study in Australia? Did you move around? Yeah, so I did. So I originally had no idea what I wanted to do. So like I enrolled in a university course called um, Management in Leisure. What what does that mean? I don't even know. (laughs) I do not even know. But like they had like, um, I guess, like event management classes as part of it. I had done so much theatre in school. I loved Uh theatre. I I loved that expression. I was really Mm. like I was first AD on on some theatre productions as well. I, I really enjoyed that space and I was really good at like production and producing and organizing. Mm. So I thought, oh, maybe event management. I had no idea. Mm. And then after a year, it was just so boring. So uh, dropped out. Mm. And then I thought film production. And so I enrolled in a private film school that was more uh, practice than theory, which, mm-hmm. was, which was wonderful. And I did, yeah, I did a couple of years in a, in a film school where we got to shoot on on film cameras, like 16mm ah. cameras. And that's where I met Drew. That's where he came to do that course. And right. first year of that course is where we met. Um, and that was 13 years ago. Oh, wow. And wait, you started yeah. dating then only? It's been yeah. 13 years? Yeah, it's been 13 years. Yeah. Oof. We actually got married like a month and a half ago. That's a good move. That's a good move, right? Like good 13 move. Years you take like, your time, girl. Yeah. You don't... You don't <laughs> don't tie yourself down. <laughs> no, so, yeah, this is so, called a bunker, not a yeah. foundation. <laughs> <laughs> True. True. Yeah. So yeah. So it's like um, yeah. That's where we met, and I like loved, absolutely loved that experience. So to give you context, my school was like kind of an all girls, predominantly white, hmm. you know, upper class type of school. Hmm. Right. I had great friends who were really open people, you mm-hmm. know, and I had my own experience. My parents always raised me to be uh, considerate and open and giving and, you know, they were never like, if you would say anything slightly rude or arrogant, they would just put you in your place. Right. But I felt like, I really felt like I was in such a bubble and I remember in that year of transition I was like, there's got to be more, right? Like everyone has this question there's got to be more it's the standard question when you're in that phase of discovering who you are and then in this private film school there was only two Australians there was Ah. Indians people from Estonia from Israel from Africa from Mexico uh, people from 18 to like 45 and I was just like ah yay this is cool and so like got to meet people from like so many different walks of life, hear their stories, co-create mm. their stories mm. through film, um, see people who were just so passionate about like cinematography or sound design or yeah. whatever. Uh, it was just beautiful. And then also I started dating Drove and that was a really like, you know, an experience that really opened things up for me too. So 
Um, mm. I, yeah, I loved that experience a lot. It's but it's I think it's the right time also to meet people, you know. Yeah, for sure. I, I was I was just the other day I talking to a friend of mine about this. He like, you know, when you're a kid, you it's so much easier to make friends than when you're an adult. True, that is like, true. When you're a kid, everybody who lives in a physical proximity to you is a friend. Yeah. It doesn't really matter because you're not really fully formed. You don't have things you don't like yet. Yeah, true. Uh, Less conscious guess, as well. Yeah, and I think yeah. that that university environment is the best place to actually meet people. I I'm envious mm. of anybody who actually had a college life. I used to just uh, I, I was working and studying throughout college, like not even the law school stuff. I was studying audio engineering and doing comedy and working on. So you 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 did law school stuff as well. I didn't know this. Yeah, I did law. I graduated in law, but okay. I also did a diploma in audio engineering. Oh wow! Okay, that but you the, didn't you didn't have a college life. No, I didn't do shit, dude. I didn't do any of the college stuff. I was working yeah. only. I was very yeah, happy enough. working. Yeah. Uh. So yeah. So I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like the. But it must have also been a culture shock, right? Because now suddenly you're exposed to all these, uh, people. Or is generally Australia, uh, culturally? Because I, from what I see, mm-hmm. at least on the one TV show that I've seen, uh, there's. <laughs> Uh, you know, there's a lot of migration, especially from the yeah. southeast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Asia. So, I mean, that must be a pretty cosmopolitan place. Yeah, so it is diverse for sure. Like there is, you know, a lot of diversity. But then you can see diverse, it's diversity, but whether you actually get to know it, you hmm. know what I mean? Like it's it's very different when when these people become, you know, and you have an intimate relationship with them, hmm. you know. I think like there there is a lot of diversity, so but it's still like you have to also choose to engage in it. And I think hmm. um I think, yeah, for me, it wasn't a culture shock, but it was an opening, you know. I think right. you I was already looking for for I was already open to wanting to hear a different perspective because I wanted to change my own. Yeah. So I already had that that space within me. And I think just, it was just lovely to meet these people who were, were open to sharing and mm. I wanted to hear it. And yeah, it is really, really different. And at, at, those, at that time, I probably didn't know what I was looking for. Mm. So I couldn't even seek it, but mm. I ended up in that space. Um, and I guess, yeah, it, it really shaped me, but then also like living in India has shaped me. My relationship with Drove has shaped me. The work that we we've done, like everything, every experience has. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting because when you meet someone at that point in your life, which yeah. is like a very heavily, you know, it's like uh, I, I describe it like having a, a, you know, how they have those grills around the plants, you know, on the street. I don't know if you've oh, seen yeah. those. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. kind of like that. Like yeah. I mean, everybody has one. Like it's it's all of your things in life make that grill. You know, and when yeah, you sure. when you get into it, committed relationship at that age then you're adding another stick in that grill in some yeah, sense yeah i think so that's true i think the the benefit like not the benefit but like so Drew and i we started dating like maybe halfway through that year and then mm. so after six months i did two years of the course he did one so after six months of dating he went back to india mm. and i was 19 so at the time i was like yeah we're obviously going to break up because like what what are we going to do yeah. here like I'm 19, but then we didn't end up. How much age breaking. gap do you have? Four years. Okay. So he was, he was young too. He was 23 yeah. at the time. So, but then we, you know, we didn't, we ended up staying together. So I had one, we did one year long distance and yeah. that was probably 
like the biggest and most like formative year of my whole life mm. because it wasn't just the long distance. So at the time, my parents weren't, I had the experience of my family not supporting the relationship. Right. So you would expect it from maybe, well, that's maybe a stereotypical assumption, but you might have expected it from the Indian side. Oh, yeah, but, of course. But I mean, I, yeah. it would be stereotypical of me to say Australia also. I mean, you know, Australia yeah. is not known as the most uh, racially cultured. It's people. true. They are. They're racist. <laughs> Very. Sure. They are. I agree. Uh, and they are. And so, yeah. And I think it was just like, for for them it was i think originally like i was so young hmm. and i was committing to this guy in india at 19 yeah. and, and he's know, older and and oh he's just far away and he's yeah. from a foreign land and what do we know about india yeah. and so and so they also like there was a lot of tension and ultimatums and things like that and we were long distance and i was in school but that's when i started um So I was at my dad's butcher shop working and one of the older ladies there who was really sweet she was like maybe you should try meditation or something. No joke. No joke like a few hours later like a monk from a local um meditation center came and said can I leave some flyers on the counter. Ah. And it was for this meditation center. So I started going and it was a buddhist based uh, meditation um community and I went twice a week and then I started reading this book that like I swear by and so it was a year of just um kind of understanding myself my mind right. um it gave me the ability to like not be angry to not reject my situation to not reject my parents mm. to not reject drove to be present to be open uh to figure out who I was so I feel like instead of having like you said the plant with that grill yeah. it wasn't it, it ended up being a year where it was kind of like again more more and more opening yeah and that came through me having that space me having that challenge and mm. and whatever the way I figured out how to deal with it through my experiences so it, it makes it sound like it's a flow state a you what know, but a flow state you know like when yeah. you're in the zone but yeah. for a whole year for a whole year yeah. yeah i literally like and i think because of the solitude like when you're when you it's just you you can just completely like put your energy into something mm. um and my energy was like i was working so hard i was in college in my final year doing like all of these films i was working mm. at my dad's shop on the side to save money mm. i was doing internships in film and doing freelance work in film mm. but i felt light Hmm. but i felt light because my core focus was um my state of mind understanding i had a choice about how i felt what thoughts i engaged with that hmm. i could separate myself from my thoughts that other people's suffering wasn't my own right. um that i could have compassion for their suffering without carrying it mm-hmm. um that i could choose love and choose both sides um and that no one's opinion really makes a difference to who i am So it was like living and breathing all of these things and hmm. trying to be present in the moment. Um so yeah, so it was a really like big year for me that kind of laid the foundation hmm. of how like how I live now and I continue to want to like build upon. Um so yeah, so I really appreciate all of the challenges and everything what, that happened. What were yeah. some of the books you were reading at this time? Um that you new, now swear by. Yeah, A New Earth by Eckhart okay. Tolle. Have you heard of it? No, but I'm going to make a list. 
It is like literally like if I read you a part of it, uh, uh-huh. I've got it in the other room, but it's like if you read it now uh-huh. with the pandemic, with the, the political climate in yeah. India and around the world, it pretty much talks about what we're seeing is a manifestation of human delusion, mm. right? Which mm. is just yeah, yeah, suffering in, in, in an external form. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so it's actually like, even though it was written like 10 years ago, it is so relevant. You read it now about how the media um, creates mm-hmm. more, um, you know, everything just, it's mm-hmm. just so relevant always, but it's, I guess it's the fundamental human condition. It's always mm-hmm. going to be relevant. What, what other book is on this? So that was the main one actually. Okay. Like I just, I read that for like eight months like I, st- I studied it. Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Then I read Shantaram because I wanted to ah. immerse myself in like India and ex- before I ended up coming. You, the thing yeah. is though, it's very interesting to me that people read Shantaram to get immersed in India, whereas you're actually getting immersed into Bombay. Yeah, that's true. Totally uh, true. Which is, yeah. which is good only. You should also because yeah. the city will be gone soon, you know. So, yeah, it's true. It's just, I f- he wrote that so well. Like, it was just like, it was beautiful. Like, you could yeah. visually see yourself in those spaces. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, growing up around them, it was like a whole treat to read that book, you know, because you mm, could kind of, you felt like you were in on uh, yeah. the secret menu that the city had to offer almost. Yeah. Uh, so, so, I mean, you know, I think uh, based on my sources, uh, <laughs> you came to meet Dhruv here. Hmm. And then you really liked the place. And then yeah. you really, really, really liked, like, really liked the hmm. place. You liked the place so much that you gave up first world amenities uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. to come here permanently. What did you see? What? Because uh, hmm. I, I desperately look at people outside who moved here to g- remind me what's so great about this place. Yeah. No? I guess like it goes back to everything I've been saying. I think I, I want to grow as a human being. And part of that is I want, to, I want to challenge my conditioning, right? I don't always, even my newfound conditioning that I have now from India. Hmm. So I feel like when I came here, everything that I thought was true, so everything I knew to be true, was challenged. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like you don't stop at a red light. There are cows on the road. You know, efficiency at a, you know, restaurant or, you know, people can speak their minds. It's okay. It's not rude. Like, like it might be really little, but everything that I thought was my truth based on my bubble and my upbringing, safety is something that's just take, like safety, for example. I never, like 15 drunk in a cab, passing out, Please take me home. I never, ever, ever once growing up thought, am I safe? Right. Never. Yeah. Ever. I was just like, yeah, I'm safe. And then so, you know, so everything was challenged. But I yeah. like that because what's the point of just staying still in one place and not mm. growing and evolving? We live yeah. in a world where there's so many different experiences. So why not have them? And why not? Uh, challenge what you think is true and be open to more. I mean, that's what I loved. I, f- I found it freeing because, you know, it was mm. like there's more. Um, so, th- so that's what I really loved about it. Um, 
And yeah, I guess I came here first for a, like a holiday that ended up getting extended for like seven, eight months. Mm. And, um, and then we went to Australia for a few years again and we worked and lived there. And then we, we decided... What did you do when you were in Australia? I worked in film. So again, I, film. I worked in, yeah, I was a producer, but then mm. I also worked in distribution and marketing. Mm. And at the time when I went into distribution and marketing, I was always like, well, how is this going to serve me? Like maybe um, I should get back into production and producing. Mm. Mm. Um, but I was working with a with a colleague who also was a producer, but um, had started this distribution company, who's now like my mentor and my dear friend because hmm. he was an incredible person and we, we always got um, more excited when we worked on films that were had a social impact hmm. so we did film campaigns for um, one was about uh, Vietnamese refugees one was about human trafficking hmm. um, you know one was about like Chinese orphans and things and we we would get really excited and figure out unique campaigns and release strategies and everything but now I work you know in this label where the whole mm. thing is you're not only working on producing events and content but then how are you going to distribute and market them yeah so like all of that experience like you always end up using it at some point so mm. i was doing that yeah i was doing that and i got uh, but then the, so how uh, mm. why 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 did you come back you don't, you're not supposed so, to come back yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know like so I always said that I wanted, after the first trip, I was like, okay, I want to come back and live here. Like, I want to do a lot longer. What, what was the first eight months? What all you saw? You came to Mumbai? We, yeah, we came to Bombay. So, Drew's okay. sister was living there hmm. at the time. So, we, we went and saw her and we did Bombay. Um, we did Goa. We did, Drew's uh, <laughs> cousin lives huh. in, he runs a beautiful uh, Buddhist uh, center in, in Bir, in Himachal. We went there nice. for a month and I was teaching English. Drew was doing some film editing mm. for him. Um, we went to Shimla. We went to Jaipur. We went to Amritsar. We did a few more places in Himachal. I um, hope you're going to do a South tour sometime. Not yeah, I know. I know. The East and the South is little, not, not a lot of Gujarat also I'm hearing. Yeah, I didn't. I haven't. I've been to Baroda now, but mm. uh, that was like my first time to Gujarat. And then I think we did Bangalore, I think, at some, but yeah, but we didn't do, do much more Bangalore south. not worth seeing. It's a city. It's, yeah, it's just a city. It's, you know, yeah. that's why Bangalore is the best place for comedy in India, because everyone's just so soul-sucked and sad. Oh, that really? they always you buy tickets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All and see, I mean, low st- low cost of living. Uh, you know, most people work for MNCs, so they make good money. Yeah, uh, and they're so depressed. They're so dead inside. Oh, no, that they need horrible. to hear bad jokes from me. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I need to laugh. Yeah, why not? Yeah, uh, but so then, so that was the mm-hmm. first trip, and then you wanted to come back, and I'm I'm going to say check out the rest of South India. And yeah, sure. <laughs> And that turned into, but or was it like a conscious thing of no, 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 we're moving back. We're definitely no, moving so, back. So basically in those few years where we were in Australia, I was working in film. Drove was freelancing in film as well, but he was also beginning Pagal Henna. So mm. he had reached out to a few artists. He had started managing like Pratik and mm. another artist, Kunal Datta, and we were doing bits and bobs from there and he was flying back. But it was like, I wasn't sure what he was doing really. Like I was just like, is he experimenting? Is mm. he like, it was just, I was aware that, you know, like I would help him, you know, send out press releases or put, mm. like, I remember being in my office for my f- 
film distributor and creating the artwork oh. for Pratik's first EP that came ah. out. Like we were doing mm. it together on the computer. So ah. we were doing these things, but I wasn't sure where it, where it was going. And he would spend hours reading, like just reading. I'm like, what is this guy reading and listening and reading? But what I realise now is that was him building the foundation for what he wanted Pagelhenna to be. That was him mm. really reading he he doesn't have like a degree in music business or anything but that was him learning what's happening how are people doing things and I think he you know I had left my distribution job six months earlier because I wanted to find something a little bit more meaningful I had been in the job for I think three four years and Mm. I didn't feel like it was going anywhere and then I just did a six-month stint with a not-for-profit which was about uh, diversity education in Australia there you go and then, um, so I always find the idea very funny of diversity education. Yeah. Look, he is darker yeah. than you. Hey, that's what I imagine. It's a bunch of kids in a line and a professor just going, look, yeah. stand by it shade. Like it is like that. <laughs> no, because like literally like what they would do is they would get like a, like a indigenous Australian then they would get like a, a white, you know, Australian and then like uh. maybe people from different backgrounds. And then they would ask the kids, like, who do you think is the Australian in this group? Majority would pick the white, the white person. Yeah. You know, but then in indigenous yeah. communities, they would yeah. pick the, the brown person yeah. or the, you know. So, but, so yeah, it is literally like people standing the line pointing. But a little bit more than that, we, we, we launched into like a resource in the, we got some resources put into the curriculum, hmm. um, into the Australian curriculum, which we launched so that teachers could be more informed. Because, for example, like a lot of islanders don't look, it's rude to look elders in the eye, right? Ah, okay. So for teachers, they will be like, look me in the eye, stop being rude. But for them, that's their culture, you know. Right. So it was a lot of different layers. Um, anyway, but, yeah, so I did that. Mm. And so I was in between kind of jobs wanting to kind of find something a bit more meaningful I had also done some work with an orchestra in Australia. A film producer of mine launched an orchestra, so she mm-hmm. brought me on board and I did a few seasons with them and helped so them. So here that. you were the tool manager or were you the... So, so I was, yeah, I guess I was... I yeah. Lady Friday, everything you Yeah, do. yeah, basically. Mm. In a, for the ones in Australia, especially the first couple of years, yes, most mm. definitely. And then that orchestra ended up touring India many years later and then I ah. became the <laughs> Indian film manager. Ah, is yeah. it? Is it? Because I mean, the mm. economics of an orchestra in India they seem impossible. Like mm. it just it sounds impossible to maintain an orchestra mm. where everybody gets paid well and has a nice. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, how different is it in Australia? So basically, with the 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 orchestra that we worked with, it isn't like a like a regular orchestra group. So it's not like a like a, the Sydney Symphonic. It's the Australian World Orchestra. And that's what makes it special. So there's a lot of Australian musicians. They play um, in some of the best orchestras around the world. Mm. So Berlin Phil, Vienna Phil, you know, yeah. all around the world. And then Australia doesn't get the chance really to hear them. Right. Because they're all overseas. Australia's best. So the goal was when it first started, and it still is, Let's get Australia's best from all around the world together back home with a world-class conductor and perform once a year for Australia. And do like a three-month tour or whatever, like a two-month tour. 
Oh, like, at, you know, in some instances, it was just like a Sydney, Melbourne, you right. know, like two, three show type scenario. Um, and then it built, built into tour. So on one of those, and it was magical because a lot of these, these are the best, right, yeah. and around the world. And then they were all coming home and everyone can be proud and whatnot. And then one of the conductors in Australia was Zubin Mehta. So he conducted them in Australia. And then mm. he's like, this orchestra is amazing. Yeah. I, want, I want to bring them to India. And yeah. that's when they toured India. And we did, I think we did, a, we did five, five concerts on the first tour. Mm-hmm. And so I was the India tour manager for that. And then they came mm. back under a different conductor two years ago. And that was another, another tour. So I had done the Australian part of that at the time we were referring to. And um, I was in between jobs and then Jewel mm. was like, okay, I want to do this full time now. I think there's enough potential in what we're doing. Um, I want to move back. And I'm like, yeah, cool. I'm, let's, let's just go back and do it. So ah. that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Ah, and that's such a great, great uh, poise for the end of the first half of this episode. You literally left it on a cliffhanger. Like, oh, <laughs> what happens next? What will happen? Guys, what will happen? Okay, uh, we're going to take a quick break. On the other half, we will be back in the meanwhile. Hey, thank you, AMF patrons, for patroning this uh, podcast. We are uh, almost done with season one. Thank you uh, for helping out. Season two is figuring out, uh, it is happening, sorry. I am figuring out how to say words. Uh, but season two will happen and we'll figure out how to fund it. That's how we're going to do this. See you in the second half with Lucy Peters. Welcome back. Second half AMF with Lucy Peters. It is me, AM. And this is the F. Uh, uh, hello. Uh, welcome back. I hope you had a good break. Uh, I knew you would take a break because you were Why? drinking water at a yeah, rate that I I've seen. And you know, I'm drinking less because we're doing this. I, I'm a, I drink so much water. My grandma actually, I think I get it from her. She felt like in her past life, she died of dehydration. And so <laughs> she just constantly drinks water. So I, I don't know. I drink water and drink a ton of tea. So, yeah. Oh, that's nice, but I am a. Uh, I I need to. Call, I have oral fixation scenes, so I need to keep drinking water or coffee mm-hmm. or water mm-hmm. or coffee, and yeah. it's preferable something warm. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, I yeah, before shows I will take boiling hot water and put old monk in it so that the alcohol evaporates, and then I get the warm, uh, just the warmth of it. Oh, nice. but those days are so far behind now. When I'll, when are I'll you have, doing? Are you doing shows this weekend? Nah, not at places where I will have alcohol. Firstly. Oh, okay. Uh, plus, I'm driving myself everywhere now, so no chance of drinking. Oh yeah, fair enough. Makes unless sense. I find a place to stay. Uh, but you know, earlier no, I, I I know I know you must have been to Habitat by now. Uh, and, yeah. You know, it has a hotel Actually, room in it. I haven't been there. Oh, oh, yeah, but I know of it. Yeah, gorgeous place. So it has yeah. a hotel above it. So, what I would used to do is every month I would take one Thursday whenever mm. I would have a spot there and I would mm. book a room and I would not, I would tell everyone I'm out of town or whatever the hell. And then I would do the show and then I would go up and I would chill in my room right above. Nice. It was That's the so nice. best. Yeah. <laughs> just That's so good. Ridiculous efforts to not live with your family. <laughs> is what it is. Yeah. So anyway, so we were at we had just moved to India to start yeah. this indie record label. Yeah, uh, and artist development agency. And an artist so, development agency. So we we see ourselves more working in artist development than so label. Which is, I think a fair yeah. statement because I've yeah. seen how much Shashwat has developed with y'all over the last year and a half, two years now, two years now. 
Yeah, I think so. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I know. Quickly. <laughs> it's gone so quick. And yeah. he's grown so much. Like, you know, it's just nice to hear him call me and be like, Akash, this is what you need to do about your career now. And I'm like, hey, I thanks. I, I was waiting it. for this. <laughs> yeah. But it, it must be, a, I mean, is it scary going into this? I, I know you you don't sound like the kind of person who gets, who, who finds mm-hmm. these things daunting as such. Uh not really. I think for me, the the main thing was like at the beginning, it wasn't like I was a full-time participant in Pavel Henna. Like mm. it was more like it was still like what is what is Druv up to? So we, we came back and I was kind of just like the support. So as he was going through it and figuring it out mm. and I was then figuring out, okay, what's what's my place in all of this and mm. what, what am I up to and Coming to India, like you, I had to let go of a lot of like, you know, nine to five job, finding a nine to five job, like fitting in, like those things that you you do in Australia that you're told you have to do. But it, it gave me again this thing of space that I keep saying, space to kind of find out yeah. what my my expression was, and then how do I apply that expression to Pargal Henna? So yeah. I was always a part of it, but it was still very much Drew's vision and Drew figuring out what he wanted to do with it. But I never was scared. I was never nervous. I was never apprehensive. And I think that's because one, yeah, like um, I think I I had faith in myself and in a certain grounding in that year that I I told you about where Hmm. I had found a lot of that. But also uh, Drew wasn't either. He's a risk taker. Hmm. He's he's fine with taking risks. Because he has an instinct that he is so in tuned in, in like aligned with, yeah. that he just knows, you know. And I just, it's amazing to be around someone who just has that that capability yeah. where he can just be like, I can't explain to you why I know this, but yeah. I know this. And we should, we should be doing this or we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And not giving a shit about what the risks are, but yeah. just, just going for it 110%. Yeah. And that also, when you work with someone like that, that gives you immense confidence. You Absolutely. need someone to lead with a vision and one that's it's coming from a deeper place of understanding and instinct that this is what's going to work for us. Right. And I think that's a culmination of all of his, his, his experiences uh, plus just who he is, people speak to him and they're like, who is this kid? You know, yeah. who is this guy? Because like he's just so certain of certain things, you know, and also his parents raised him that way. You know, they were right. like, I'm going to guide you, but I'm not going to make decisions for you. Like his right. father, he could always talk to his father about anything without judgment. Right. And his dad would like maybe say, okay, this is what I feel, but ultimately you have to go out and make that decision. Or if this is what you want to do, I support you 110%. So he yeah. had an environment that kind of enabled him to, to nurture those instincts. And we also had the support of his family when starting this. We were living right. with them. They were like, yeah, you guys go do your thing. They were like, you know, even my family, like at that, by that point, you know, they had mm. come around and they were, you know, they always just want my happiness. So, you know, they were, they were very supportive. So, I guess when you have that, you know, you just yeah. you just roll with it. But it's it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, on some level, this is you being sold on somebody's vision. Yeah, it is. You know, totally. And yeah. and and then you are, and it's a conscious decision then, 
to work towards someone which to me and maybe you know now my agent's words are coming back to me after mm-hmm. two episodes since uh, of her episode but you know i think i'm too self-centered to ever be sold on someone else's vision yeah but i think we all have a place right mm-hmm. so for many years i was like what is my vision right and if i if i ultimately tell you what like my goal is in life it's my first priority is to grow as a human being hmm. uh is to is to evolve is to develop my my myself same pinch um, yeah yeah and whatever i i i used to be very separate things like this is my work and this is like my path hmm. right and it's like when i work i'm disconnected from my path and i would hate it and then yeah. i was like do i have to be like a meditation or spiritual coach for my path to be my work yeah But then i realized fuck that shit yeah i am who i am and i can bring that to anything mm. what what i bring to pagal hena is 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 like how can i support the artists and the team and drove in finding their expression right. how can i give them the space that space that i'm talking about for yeah. their opening because ultimately that's what art is right yeah. and if if you can express your art or create art from a space that's deeper right mm. from a space of truth or a space of consciousness the audience member when they hear it connect to that space within themselves right and that's when it's elevated like in comedy an example dave chapel i would say yeah right he when he performs or his work hmm. there's a, t- a whole other level of awareness yeah yeah from where that's coming from yeah and that's when it goes the extra mile so i always thought like what is my purpose what is my role stuff and i realized that i i am a supporter that is my that's my asset right right is that i and it's and you need those people because you can't ultimately do it without those people yeah yeah and and i i take pride in it so i guess like yeah like you said like i i still have my own expression within pagal henna but but it is drum's vision yeah yeah and hmm. and how does that you know i mean how does it manifest itself in ways now yeah i mean i get to see hmm. it up close with what's happening in shashwat's life yeah about uh, for people who are listening to this uh, hmm. how does that vision kind of manifest itself in the form of a company uh what are some you know what i mean if that makes sense is a question no like what do you mean like uh hmm. like drove vision or what i'm saying or both, both? uh yeah. yeah because i mean you know it's like with lasun life for example my company our vision was to uh curate live events that that uh, fill a certain gap in the in the ecosystem something that mm-hmm. audiences need something that uh, uh, you know uh, that comics also need just as much mm-hmm. as audiences do which is why i think our properties are usually successful yeah okay. um so so you know at, and then similarly like, later on as time went by it became like okay now lasun has to become an extension of everything i do where it becomes also mm-hmm. my de facto production house also my de facto artist management agency mm-hmm. for the comics we work with okay uh, and so on and so forth yeah and and it manifests itself in certain ways for example like we have a way in which we'll pick new properties yeah. uh, if i want to do a new property then there's a checklist like does it serve mm-hmm. a purpose on a higher level does it do this does do so i mean you know just does it manifest itself in ways like that for pagal hena in terms of how you work with artists or, or how you for sure uh, for sure i think like um Yeah, I guess it, it's also it's hard to explain because it's not something again, it's all run by instinct, right? So mm. it's not something that we can say 
this is the formula for how we work with artists mm. or this is the formula for how we select the artists that we work with. But I guess what we can say is, is that like Drove is very much like he will look at the, the, he, the music and the art and the people and he'll see the potential before anyone can see the potential in it. Right. Mm -hmm. He will use his instincts for that. And then I guess where I come in is the human side of all of this, right? Which gets completely overlooked in the arts. It is, and it gets completely overlooked in the artist manager relationship. Yeah. It's a hard relationship. Yeah. It's, it's fucking hard. I know. <laughs> like, it's really intense, right? It's like you're, you're there day to day, yeah. you know, with each other. And you're constantly, it's it's so personal, yet you're trying to make it professional. And it's professional, yeah. And there's this weird power dynamic. It's so weird. There is a massive divide, at least yeah. in the music industry, between art and business. It's like artists are like, this is the value of the art I've created. Mm. But do you know the value of the business? Right. Do you actually understand what goes into it? Yeah. You know, you, you act like you're equals, but you're really not. Yeah. Because there's no equal ownership in anything. Yeah. So, so it's like, it's a very, very tricky thing. And I also feel like as a manager for an artist, your job is not only to, to do business, but it's like, how can you help that artist have an honest expression? How yeah. can you help that artist find that space within themselves? Yeah. How can you, we protect them, we defend them, we, you know, we argue for them, we put them in a bubble so that they can find their truth yeah. and, you know, work on their art and express it. So this is what I love about the role. Mm. And I feel like this, this has translated in in the work that we are doing and it has shaped our culture dramatically. I think, you know, at the beginning, you know, we weren't, we were a little bit more, we had neglected a few of these principles hmm. and we were in certain situations where it, it became a bit tougher or it wasn't. So we forgot about the human being, you know, even ourselves as human beings, mm. you know? So uh, I think like uh, these things definitely have found our, its way into our culture and how we approach things. We want to have relationships. You have to have a friendship because like we invest for years with maybe no monetary compensation in the hope that down yeah. the line we get something and yeah. that the artists down the line get something. You have to get along you know, it's, it's, it's you're hustling 24-7 on behalf yeah. of someone. If I don't believe in that someone, you think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the extra mile? Yeah. So it's like it's all of these things and it's, it's me now fully knowing. I also already knowing Drew so well, I know what his decisions would be in mm. a lot of scenarios. I know what he's, he's going for. And, again, it's really hard to – to in a sentence tell you what that is. Oh no, I I, I, but probably, I, I can't. But yeah. but yeah, so so we both are now aligned, and he knows. He also, from my side, has learned the importance of um, everything I've just I've just shared. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's interesting because mm. like one thing that stood out the most to me was the idea of that bubble around the artist, right? Mm. Uh, 
when it's when it comes to comedy uh, mm. comics are hyper aware of the business uh, we are very very aware yeah, of the business wow, so okay. you know yeah. the conversation that i have with anybody i'm signing is listen you're still going to do 95% of the work yeah great you know, the only way i can make you money is the way this system is rigged you know you need to you need to do the work and you need to get the numbers yeah. and i'll make the route easier for you yeah uh, uh, but but i'm not here to tell you what to sound like and i'm not yeah, here to tell all. you um, uh, whether but i'm here to tell you hey if you do choose to do this this is what you can get yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i i see it very transactionally now earlier yeah. i was idealistic about the scene now True. i feel much yeah. more you know okay, like you yeah. give it what it deserves yeah um, for sure i think we all mm. lose that idealistic view after like a few years you know <laughs> like you hard, you harden a bit you harden a bit and you have but, to but it's so much yeah. different for music right it must be so much harder for music because people are not traditionally used to valuing music as a commodity to pay for only for sure most definitely i think it is and there's so many different levels like just and this is across the board but like one obviously the audience right mm. like you said like paying for it and stuff two like it's a long term thing mm. i think like you can't just um you got to commit long term and you've got to i guess i don't know like a lot of artists don't don't recognize that or don't see that yeah um and then i don't know i've lost my train of thought there was a few things i i wanted to share on this but take your yeah. time I guess yeah okay <laughs> <laughs> it's tight it works it's okay i will yeah. accept the answer i lost my train of thought but yeah it is different for sure yeah I, yeah I, so that's mm-hmm. the thing you know because you have you have to always ek to take that extra step of sensitizing your musicians audience by saying hey you need to pay for this also bro sometimes yeah true and and uh, you know and, and it's increasingly difficult at least in my experience mm. to convince audience members the importance that they hold in all of this because for sure don't share the art you love nobody is mm. going to share it for sure you know for and, sure, and that's true. become as as important as getting you mm. know whatever 59 bucks from somebody or whatever youtube's membership costs yeah which uh, is just too cheap anyway Yeah, 59 yeah. bucks minus GST minus YouTube is uh, yeah. 18 yeah. rupees. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like who, whoever Steve Jobs or whoever set the price for music oh, online. Yeah. I it's mean, that's nothing. it's it's ridiculous. It's 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 peanuts. I think yeah, it's crazy that that people can't make money off a song or like a body of work. Yeah, a song or a record. Like it's it's art. Like it's like it's crazy that. people can't pay for it and an artist can't survive from sales yeah it's yeah. it's stupid but you know, you know so we have it has hmm. to change and the price of it has to change and but i think this is where distribution has really fucked everyone over no in the sense that with stand up also hmm. the only way i make real money is if i sell tickets and not just like tickets yeah. like i need to sell 100 plus 150 plus yeah, tickets to Yeah, so yeah. you know now when you can distribute stand up through uh, you know an ott or through youtube instead hmm. uh, the average person sitting at home doesn't value the ad- additional you know feel goodness of a live show 
even if it's a hundred times better than a YouTube. I mean, you know the difference. You've seen a comedy yeah. show live. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. same with a music show, right? Like, I mean, I have anxiety, so I can't go to live gigs. I get very scared, so I only right. go to watch Shashwat. Uh, because yeah, but I'm serious. I'm not even kidding. Wait. It yeah, it, it harrows me to go, but I go because okay. it's apna ladka. And yeah. <laughs> you know, I for me, like listening to albums is has been mm-hmm. like how I've explored music all through my life. For mm-hmm. most people, it's thankfully. At least with kids now growing up in urban centers in India, mm. there's a there was a culture of going to gigs, uh, and and the thing is you don't really that's why that's why I'm not a musician because when you go to a music gig, you're not going to listen to the song, you're going to drink and have a good time, mm. you know. And uh, yeah, most a lot of people, yeah. And that feels really shitty to me because even if I yeah. go for a gig, I'm in the front listening to the song. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, like the idea that people talk during a song—that's ridiculous yeah. to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was a question at the end of this. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but so you know, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you etch out uh, income streams for an artist like in this in this scenario? Like for me, it's trickles. Mm-hmm. For comedians, it's trickles. I get mm-hmm. a little bit from brand, a little bit from YouTube revenue, a little bit from writing project, a little mm-hmm. bit from live shows, and that kind of becomes the overall stream here. But mm-hmm. what are what, what do musicians do nowadays to make money? I'm yeah. asking because I've recorded the album, and now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's hard. I think like really, it's once you reach a point where you have a, a significant and loyal fan base, then things change, right? Because. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fan, fan base then not only, you know, will invest and pay in all of your experiences, but then other people will as well because they know it comes with, you know, a certain community. Hmm. But it takes a while to get to that community. That's hmm. the, the long-term thing. Like doing short-term stints just for, for monetary gain is, is not worth it always. You know, it's, it's, that's why it's really hard in those, in those initial years, because you're really just investing in, in your future. Mm. But I mean, I guess like in terms of revenue, yeah, it's, it's really sucky that we've been dependent on life for so long that it's like majority of our income. Mm. And I think that this time is, is great because we are now significant, like we are being able to give time to, to really look as an industry, like across the world, but Mm. also um, as a company on diversifying. So like you said, there's, there's bits from everywhere. There's, there's sync opportunities, which are quite large. There's compositional work for, for film and TV. Yeah. Uh, there's certain brand engagements. Um, mm. There's obviously the sale of merchandise and, and music. Um, and yeah, I guess whatever online engagements one, one wants to do and, and stuff like that. But it's, it's going to take time for it to actually build up to be like a significant competitor to live income, but it mm. should be, it should be. Yeah. But you're, you're, it sounds like you're juggling so many spinning plates. And I mean those words, they're spinning and you're juggling them at the same time. Because, you know, mm. on top of this entire cycle, there's the artist's intrinsic cycle of yes. when they mature and they peak. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Right. So you're kind of trying to f- make sure that they're positioned to kind of pop yeah. whenever they're actually going to peak as opposed to. Uh, yeah. So, so then and that's the, also, yeah, yeah, go. What's, so what's the, what's the conversation at halftime, you know? 
<laughs> it's hard to be patient, you know, like it's, it's a lot of time with the artists as well. Like everyone gets restless and um, maybe can't see the longer vision. And it's, it's really, that's also why a lot of artists sell their rights out really early for like a thousand bucks yeah. or, you know, because, you know, in the immediate, yeah, it's tough. There's not much money coming in. You can't see where it's going to go. Mm. A lot of artists can be really insecure about their craft, which is normal. You know, we're all vulnerable mm. and it's not just business. It's a personal expression. The vulnerability is valid. Yeah. So how do we give them a little bit of comfort? How do we show them our faith and our belief? Why are we here? You know, there's a reason why we're here as well. We yeah. see the long-term vision. It's about communicating that and mm. getting them to understand that. And I think like Bulu, for example, like, you know, he, he even said on your, your podcast, right, it's important sometimes to take time and wait. Yeah. Right? Or, like or just that's for someone something, to say no. <laughs> yeah, or for someone to say no. And when I heard him say that, I was like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I was also so proud of him. Like, you know, yeah. like, you have no idea. Because <laughs> it's true. Like it takes a while to get there, but yeah. um, you got to have faith. You've got to, you got to be able to see what it's going to be down the line. And the more you do it, the more you're able to, to gauge what that is. And that's yeah. where, like I say, like it's this unwavering knowing with the artists we work with that they're going to reach a certain place. We right. don't have a doubt. There is no fear. We yeah. know that it will happen. And that's why we only work with people where we do have that full, right. full belief. Yeah. Um, and, but it's hard because, yeah, it's constantly just talking about it, uh, having those discussions um, it, there's ups and downs with it, um, you know. It's it's yeah. It's even for us as a management team, we have hmm. we have our moments, you know. So, so now hmm. coming to the crux of this episode, how yeah. do I how do I release this album I recorded? Okay. Because I have and are yeah. you looking to manage a dynamic? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have to ask Drove. <laughs> okay. Oh, shit! I should have sent the songs to Drove to listen to. Is it? No. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, no. How do you release it? Yeah, so first of all, we are going to raise the money to make it, <laughs> which, yeah. is, which is only yeah. lacking. But because, uh, you know, the conversation with Shashwat was like, oh, you need to wait at least a year before you release this. Hmm. And that was like, huh? That made no sense to me. <laughs> I was like, well, I just made it. I might be dead in a year. I don't know. If, I don't think I'm no, around that. Once it's, once it's ready, hmm. right? Like once it's ready, um, what what is it to you the the record? It is uh, it is just that it is a record. It is no, I mean it. Like you know, yeah, if cool. if I were to like COVID made me confront mortality more than usual. Yeah, for uh, sure. you know, and I'm somebody who's already suicidal. So you know, I consider myself as a maybe on most RSVPs. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, so I felt like this might be it. Like, you know, I don't know if I make it out of this. And if I don't make it out of this, there'll be a record of the work that I've done, you know, and the things that yeah. the thoughts and the things I wanted to say to people. A lot of it is on video. Uh, but none of the music is taped. And you know, I haven't written a single song which I've actually seen through to its final mm. auditory creative vision. You know, so I felt really guilty about that. So I felt like, and then Shashwat asked at the right time, I think. And so that's why this was made, right? Like it, it needs yeah. to, because it needs to, like those things had to be said out loud in that way once at least. 
so, so when you say, so just do what you want with it then. What's your, what's your goal with releasing it? Is it just personal or is it you want, you want to become an I artist? I think I can you, tour it. But you, I, want, you know, that's the thing that I have no interest in being a musician that plays live. Hmm. My joy is in like, I'm a music lover. So I like to listen hmm. to it. And then the making of the songs is not a choice. It's because you have all this shit in your head that, yeah, for sure. you know, that doesn't have a joke before or after. Yeah. Uh, so it can't go on stage and uh, for a yeah. like, comedy show. So it has to be a song and, you know, and you've heard the songs, you know, and nice. Yeah, right. And you can say those things. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, uh, I'm blushing. <laughs> they are. They're um, really nice. They're really nice songs. But they're, they're very deeply personal. In fact, you know, yeah. the first time I sang Water Life live was at an open mic in Mumbai. And that was the last time that I ever played music without a comedy context ever in my life. Because I was like, I, I'm singing you this very personal thing. But mm. you are watching IPL. And <laughs> I don't want that for the rest yeah. of my life. Yeah. It really broke me. Uh, <laughs> for sure. For sure. But I, I don't know. Like, I think like, I mean, you can come up with like a marketing plan or a release plan or all of this. And I can help you with it if you want. No, like, how do I get Pagana to sign me now? Is the <laughs> truth. I'm going to take off the mask. There is no sheep here. This <laughs> is like oh. a reverse or I'm kidding. You don't have to answer that. Yeah, you can cool. pass. <laughs> allowed to say pass. <laughs> no, but I think if it's if it's personal, then just do what do what feels right for you with it. Yeah. yeah. Just I mean, just let people experience it, you know. Yeah. And however in whatever way you want to share it, just do it. You know, it's not like it's just one part of you. It's not like it's yeah. uh, it's like this career path that you're you're looking to pursue. Oh yeah, yeah. So, I, but I mean, I don't see it as a like. I see. I feel like uh, uh, the the music is like I'll keep making music. That's the good. one thing I've realized. Yeah, good. Because I have I have enough. Because we already we went into this album with enough songs for two three albums. Yeah, well. Uh, so, you know, it was like always like a choice of, oh, we're not going to put this on the record because yeah. we'll save it for the next one. So, I mean, you know, now I feel like I'm going to wait for Shashwat to get free again. <laughs> but yeah, you've got to also sometimes like also about giving it time is you've just got to sometimes see where things go. Like right now, yeah. you might not have clarity on what the music side of you is about. Yeah. So put it out and just see, you know, don't overthink it let it have its life and keep going with your music and maybe maybe more clarity will come as and when you know the path you know keeps keeps developing that's yeah. that's a great such a great answer that was thank you and <laughs> it feels like you've said this to a lot of musicians uh <laughs> no, but yes, you, yeah. hmm. no no go ahead no that's it yeah i don't know i want to listen to you talk i am having a great time <laughs> i enjoy people's voices yeah, no, I guess sometimes in the beginning, like, you know, um, certain artists just want to release things certain ways and, you know, it can be a bit different or a bit more minimal or, um, you know, not so campaigny or planny and stuff. Mm. You, you've also got to honour that because, I mean, what we're trying to do is also find um, what their story is and what, what their, ex, their path is or who they are and mm. how they want to do it. We, we want to bring our input to it, but we want it to align to who they are. Hmm. So um, understanding who they, are, who they are is really important, but also giving them a little bit of freedom 
especially at the beginning to to kind of do things a certain way. Um, and then also when you're when you're starting out as well, like I said, you don't really know what yeah. the audience is or the potential is always. Yeah. So you know, experimenting a bit and doing a few different things, and then slowly but surely the path becomes clearer and clearer. No, yeah. earlier it was so much more difficult though when you were a non-Hindi artist in India or a non-regional mm. language artist in India. Mm. Uh, do you feel like that's changed for the good and for good as well? Uh, that now there's, I mean, with Peter Cat, that was the first thing that I think mm. I, I realized as somebody on the fringes of all of this, like, oh yeah, you could get signed by somebody abroad. Yeah. I didn't think we could do that. I didn't think yeah. anyone outside wanted to listen to what we're making here. Yeah, it's great, actually, like that we're seeing more examples of that, you know, like there's now a handful of independent artists in India mm. who have global representation. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think like streaming has helped in that regard, because like, we also now get a lot of uh, calls and emails from people overseas who have discovered our artists. Right. Like, wow, my God, because they're not just Indian, you know, like there is still that stereotype of an Indian artist, like when you're overseas that like, are they Bollywood or classical yeah. or, or whatnot? Yeah. Um, but no, they're just an artist who is Indian, you know, that's pretty yeah. much it. Yeah. You know? So, um, but so yeah, so streaming has helped in that way because a lot of people, you know, through Spotify and stuff are actually discovering yeah. the immense amount of talent here. Um, and it's weird, no? Because yeah. on some level, like online streaming of music has kind of ruined it. And and on I some level, it's... yeah, it is. It's true. <laughs> it is weird. It's like it's in between. It's like well, it has ruined it in the sense that people don't buy and you make less and this and that. But then, if you have really high streaming numbers, you can still make you know a fair amount. But yeah. you, you know, you've got to get into the millions and more, right. and that takes a lot of time. And again, the prices that are set for the music are too low um, and all of that. But then at the same time, um, music discovery, especially like, you know, the exposure, um, the data, the interaction, all of that is, is an advantage, most certainly. I hope we can find a place for everything and it'd be, but it's, it'd be more, it'd be slightly fairer or, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. I, I don't think you. You remember the time Wolfpack released an album full of silence to raise money for their tour. I don't remember. No. I don't know. I don't know why most more people don't know this story. So apparently they yeah, released an a, album called ZZZ or something. It was just yeah. was forty-five minutes of silence. Wow. And they told their fans to just keep it on at night every night before they sleep. Oh wow. And, and how much did they raise? A few thousand, enough to go on tour for some 13 wow, cities or something. That's insane. I know. It's, yeah. I, I'm just like, yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Fan base. Yeah. Right? That's it. If you, if you, Drew and I saw a post yesterday he shared with me, one fan a day. Right? Yeah. If you can get one loyal fan a day. Sometimes people are like, oh, there was nobody there at that gig. But if there oh, was yeah. five people and two were converted to loyal fans. Yeah. That's it. And we also like, that's why we have a strong mailing list uh, mindset. We've been doing that for 10 years mm. because, you know, we, we all always say that it's like, you know, social media is for rent, you know, Facebook, Instagram shut down. Yeah. Goodbye community. Yeah. You're gone. Like, how do I find those yeah. people? Yeah. Well, you don't. So um, mailing list is like, if someone's 
willing to join like your fan club or your community or your patrons. Yeah. Um, if people are willing to join and commit and that community, they're the people who, yeah, ultimately yeah. you release silence, they buy it. Yeah. I am. I am too like, I am too, I'm very, wow. It's Brands just, are like, yay, I'll have yeah. a bite of that. Yeah. It's, I, I love that. I love it when somebody can rig the game. No, like I just, yeah. I find I'm proud of those people. Yeah, but they, that's because they're invested in you. They're not, it goes beyond then the music, right? It's then like yeah. we're invested in the culture that the artist creates. We're invested in who they are yeah. uh, as people. It's, it then goes beyond the actual product. Yeah, it becomes something bigger. But that's where it's scary also, right? Because mm. like how much of this is mm. who you are and how much of this is who you should be to get X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? That is something I constantly grapple with. I don't know if your artists mm-hmm. grapple with that as much. I'm sure they would on some level, right? Because like, you know what you can do mm. and you know the results and then you're like, but that's not honest to myself at all. Mm. So, so some people, like some of, most of the artists we work with won't do anything that's not honest to them. Mm. Like hands down. Really? They don't care. Some of them who are more commercially driven have accepted the fact that there's going to be some things that they do, which are their honest expression. Mm. Some things which are honest, but they're kind of tweaked to also be commercially viable. And they have that awareness and they're okay with it. They just accept it. But it's not like they're compromising on the art. They just tailor the, they just know. But that's the thing. Yeah. (laughs) Is it still art if it's for Whirlpool, you know? Mm, (laughs) I guess you can. I think, um, yeah, it's hard. I guess I'm not not an artist, so it would be hard to juggle that. But it's not like I've ever listened to any of it and felt like any of it lacked because of commercial reasons Mm, or any of mm. it compromised because of commercial reasons. I just think it's like... Yeah, like maybe it's like the Sistine Chapel argument, right? Mm. Like it might have been paid for by church, and he might have not had an option to not paint it, but he did. Fucking did a great job of the Sistine Chapel man. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's like, for example, the decision English or Hindi. Now Hindi is a is a better commercial choice. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that what I write and what I sing isn't going to be as beautiful or as creative or compromised because it's in that language. Yeah, absolutely. It just means I've. You know, if you're if you're good enough in both, and you can do both, maybe it's it just means that it's something that you know will reach more people, but mm. you can still do the art justice. It's a it's a hard balance, though. Yeah, but I but most of, and that's the thing with most of the artists, that's they're not willing to compromise, mm. and yet it's this it's a slow burn, mm. right? And we're not willing to compromise. We're probably even more, or just as hardcore about that honest expression as possible mm. but but monetarily and commercially you just have to wait yeah so, yeah okay, this is my last question okay okay uh, i i can i don't know if you're getting impatient no but, i'm not uh, i would it's okay if you are also because it's been an hour and a half now <laughs> well, uh, it's been nice okay. talking to you you're hey, a good talker likewise man it's so great yeah. you have such insight i'm very happy <laughs> I'm sick and I'm this happy. So I'm in a good place. Uh, so, ha, huh, what music do you listen to, Lucy Peters? I knew, I knew you were going to ask me. <laughs> I just knew you were going to ask me this. So, 
To be perfectly honest, I don't listen to a lot. You only listen to Bhojpuri remixes. Be honest. <laughs> don't even know what that is. Are <laughs> yar. Okay, fine. <laughs> so, so no, perfectly honest. Like when I have free time, I like silence, and hmm. I'm kind of a. Even Drew and I work differently. He works to music. I work in silence. I hmm. like stillness in my mind, so I don't listen to a lot. But. Um, Yeah, there's a I mean, I grew up listening to hip hop and um R&B and all of that stuff, so that was like growing up like Tupac and and all of that. Oh wow. Australian bobs. Man, <laughs> some Tupac must have related so hard. People get really surprised and stuff. But but no, now there's like the, I mean there's tons of great artists with there's always music playing, you know, around and stuff like Yeah. Big Thief and Head Run and all of these, you know. um i really really love so novo novo amor is an artist i really love have you heard of him no but i was just hoping you would say acdc at some point because you're australian but clearly there is no patriotism <laughs> left there is none my mom my mom would be so to be like lucy i lost, <laughs> lost you <laughs> hey hey man thank you so much for doing this this has been absolutely no. wonderful thank you so uh, much um You're a great person. And, uh, <laughs> that, that nobody has ever said that to me in this podcast, by the way. No, but <laughs> this it's is true the first time. It's nice. You're very open. It's been lovely talking to you. This is my first podcast, so I really enjoyed oh, it. I hope yeah. you do more because people should get to know you more because you should Thank be you. known more. This is, you know, same thing happened with Comedy Factory with Manan and Vidya. They started mm-hmm. Comedy Factory together. Nobody talks to freaking Vidya, dude. You know, <laughs> don't let history sideline you. Yeah. No, I think like Drew and I have only both just started doing podcasts. I think he he did his first three like in pandemic, and he yeah. just can't listen to them. He's like, I just like you know. He, but we're both like this is the thing also with us and Pargal Henna is that you put your artists first all the time, right? Mm. So it's always Pargal Henna has always been at the back. Yeah. It's always been like how can we propel the artists? You know, if people want to interview us, we're like, oh, we don't have time. We're working yeah. on this campaign. But now we're starting to talk more, yeah. share more. Yeah, yeah, it's important, man, because you know yeah. you're an artist too. Except your art is people. Yeah, it's so true. Thank ah, you. Not at all, man. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm looking forward to DT, and I'm looking forward to Dhruv also. Dhruv, so I'm, I have, I have major plans. I'm going to sidetrack the entire episode and talk about cricket. Yeah, please do. You'll get some. <laughs> it'll be great. You'll have some fun conversations. Yeah. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for doing this. If you're watching this or listening to this, thank you so much for watching and or listening to this. We are coming to the end of this season of Varta. Uh, oh, I was going to say Varta Lab, guys. Oof, that was close. That's the ad podcast is dead. Uh, coming to the end of the season for Akash and friends. Uh, season two details will be out soon. Make sure you've joined the Discord if you're a patron. If you're not a patron, join the Discord. If you're just chilling, join the Discord. I'm telling you, come there because there I don't have to pay Facebook or YouTube money to actually reach you. So come there. Okay, guys, thank you for watching. My name is Akash. This has been Lucy Peters on AMF. Okay, bye.